it's become pretty apparent to me that the devil this past weekend sent his minions to unleash a full-on attack kind of in this area of my body. And so I apologize in advance for any awkward or extremely uncomfortable sounds that might come out of my voice. So you have been warned, okay? So just give me your patience. I'm going to do my best to get through it. Pretty, it's pretty funny, this is the first time it's happened, but Bob actually printed off my sermon as well in case I couldn't get through it. So we have a backup plan if my voice just completely goes out. I want to take us back three years ago, March of 2020, actually about three years ago, almost to the day, the most bizarre month any of us have ever lived through in our lives. It's when the world shut down due to the COVID pandemic. No going out to eat, no going to movies, going to work and school as we knew it would never be the same in some ways. And amid all of this, there was a growing fear in the hearts of nearly every American. This fear made people act crazy and completely irrational. It was the fear of running out of toilet paper. You could not find it anywhere. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know who was buying it all. I'm pretty sure this is what most of our bathrooms looked like. <laughs> I know. Come on. It's funny. I was recently in a home a couple weeks ago, and they had about 10 of the big old Sam's Club toilet paper. You know I'm talking about those purple ones, like 10 packages of them, and I said, it was you. <laughs> it was you guys. So the mystery has been solved. If you're just joining us, we're spending a few weeks diving into some of the main hindrances to our ability in loving people well. Two weeks ago, we talked about how our pride gets in the way. Last week, we examined how we, our idolization of comfort gets in the way. And today, we're going to talk about how often our narrow view of our capacity prevents us from loving people well. And just like a scarcity mentality in 2020 was centered around toilet paper, um, we're going to look at how our limited view of capacity impacts our relationships and how we love others. So we're going to start with an Old Testament story. So open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. It is, it's page 526 in your pew Bible. A little context here. So the prophet of Israel at this time, um, his name was Elisha. And he had really just ticked off a foreign king. And this king sent horses and chariots and a strong force, kind of an army, to capture Elisha. And they traveled by night to his location. And so we pick up where Elisha's servant discovers the trouble that they're in. So 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 15. 15 through 18. It says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. 
So Elisha and his servant wake up one morning and see the city surrounded with soldiers. I don't know about you guys, but if I looked out my bedroom window and I saw a full-blown army who was there to capture me and kill me, I would have a panic attack, okay? The things that would come out of my mouth would not be repeatable in a church setting, okay? Anybody else? Three of us. You guys are liars. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, those of you way back there, I appreciate it. So he's freaking out, okay? I would have responded the same way. Oh, no, this is bad. This is not good. We're done, right? Elisha, it's been a good run, but we are going to meet our maker today. Fear, scarcity. This was the posture of his servant, but not Elisha. And seeing his servant in despair, he said, do not be afraid. And he prayed to God. He said, Lord, open his eyes so that he might see what really is. The Lord opened his eyes, peeled back the curtain, and he saw an army of angels ready to fight for him. I cannot imagine the comfort and the hope that the servant felt in that moment. He learned that day that we serve an all-powerful God who is not limited by our narrow view of capacity and our fear of not being enough or not having enough. He is more than enough, but when we fail to believe that, we will struggle both to receive his love fully and extend that love to others. Turn with me now to John 15. Let's look at some teachings from Jesus himself. Page 1537, I believe, in your pew Bible. John 15, starting uh, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So just to be as clear as possible, speaking to his disciples, essentially speaking to us, those of us that are believers were created to bear fruit. Not just some of us, all of us. Not just those of us that seem to have a lot of free time. Not just those of us that seem to have maybe some wealth working in our favor. It does not matter if you are married, single, have kids, don't have kids. Your season of life does not matter. Your age does not matter. All of us in Christ were created to bear fruit. And what that means is that we were created to bring beauty and goodness into the world. With our time, with who we are, with our resources, with our talents. And certainly our personality plays a part in how we bear fruit and maybe how much fruit we allow God to bear through us. Some of us take on other people's burdens because if we're honest, we want to feel like the Savior. We love sweeping in to people's messy lives, trying to help them get back on solid ground. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's a Savior complex. It's sinful because none of us are the Savior. On the other hand, some of us distract ourselves by focusing on the sins of others and focusing on their problems so that we can avoid dealing with our own hurt and our own junk. 
we're willing to meet others in their pain and their brokenness because it prevents us from dealing with our own emotional wounds. And that way of operating is really easy to fall into because we appear to be very loving and kind on the outside. While on the inside, we can be hurting, scarred, and even drowning in shame. Avoiding addressing your own sins and your own woundedness may fool others. I've certainly fooled some people. But God knows the motives of our hearts. And then there's many of us here today who fall in this camp. We don't get involved deeply with others because we believe we simply do not have the capacity. The fear of not having enough time or not having enough emotional bandwidth to carry the burdens of others keeps us in isolation, avoidant of engaging others, and really maybe only initiating conversations with people who we know will ask or require very little of us. Look at verse 16 again, if you still have that out. Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you ask in my name, as long as it is in line with the Father's purpose of bearing fruit, he will give you. Think about that. So if we discover that we are hoarding, we are overprotecting our time, our money, our resources, if we're afraid and living in fear that there's not enough of us to go around or enough of what we have to pass on to others, we can ask God to change our perspective change our thinking and our thought patterns. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. We can ask God to open our eyes just like he did for Elisha's servant to see what really is. And what really is is that we live in God's kingdom. It may not look at, we may not look that way all the time, but he's the boss. He is the king And his kingdom is one of abundance, one of abundance, not of scarcity. He is overflowing with love and kindness. And after receiving his love first for ourselves, he wants us to operate with his heart towards others. Are you asking him to enlarge your capacity to love others deeply? Are you asking him to give you his heart for others? Andy Jones wrote an article a few years back about the prosperity gospel. Who's pretty familiar with the prosperity gospel? Oh my gosh, six people. You guys are crazy. So the prosperity gospel really took hold in the 1980s, okay? And unfortunately, it is still kind of prominent in some megachurches. Jamie, still kind of prominent, especially in megachurches spread throughout different parts of the United States. And Basically, the prosperity gospel is this. It's a teaching and belief that if you have enough faith, you will experience physical health and financial wealth, okay? Faith equals abundance, right? Health is called the health and wealth gospel. It's absurd, it's false, and it's heresy. But that's not even what was interesting about the article. Here's where it became interesting. He argued that there's a bigger danger closer to home than the prosperity gospel. 
And that caught my eye. He said it's the scarcity gospel. The scarcity gospel operates under the assumption that we should expect God to do little through our churches and in our lifetime. We don't really expect God to do great things in us and through us. When we watch the news, we see how the world is falling apart. And so we succumb to the belief that God can do very little with us. Sure, he can help us clean up our act a little bit, maybe break some bad habits, maybe kick that big addiction. But deep transformation that will change a community and a city, keep dreaming. The world is too messed up, one might argue. But like he said in the article, the world shouldn't dictate what we anticipate from God. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. The world should not dictate what we anticipate from God. Someone else might say that, you know, if we expect little of God, we won't really be disappointed when little happens. And such a narrow, limited, scarcity mindset, if I can be honest, is a slap in the face to who God is. This is who he is. Ephesians 3, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Keep that up there for a second. The God that we claim to serve is able to do immeasurably more than we can even fathom. Immeasurably more than we could ever ask according to his power at work in us. Does your life show others that you believe that? Does the way that you live show others that you believe that? Or perhaps your life is marked more by fear that you're not enough, and that you don't have enough. And so what you have, you better hoard it and protect it. Whose life is flourishing because you keep giving yours away? And I'll flip that question. Who's suffering because you keep hoarding your heart, your talents, your time, and your resources? As I prepared my message this week, I became quite aware for the first time of how much of my life I've actually lived with a scarcity mentality. I'm going to give you guys a couple examples, different arenas this can play out in our lives. Scarcity thoughts have been a big battle for me. So entertaining and believing thoughts that told me I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. God can't really change me. God can't really use me to do something powerful. Time scarcity has also been a major issue for me, especially in recent years. I do a really good job of setting, <laughs> sounds really arrogant, I do a really good job of setting boundaries in my work life because I don't want it to become my everything, right? I don't want to get burnt out. That's a good thing <laughs> to a certain extent. But there were a kind of a few years stretch where I overguarded and overprotected my family schedule so much that I had no room for God's inconveniences, you know, God-ordained, you know, disturbances, if you will, or last-minute hang, hangouts. And I had some people in my life call me out on it. I said, man, you seem really rigid in your schedule. I'm like, ah, that sucks to hear. Like, I feel like I can't just kind of, like, approach you at any time. Like, I got to get on your planner. I'm like, oh, 
That's a dagger to the heart, right? About 10 years ago, I had a few friends walk out of my life. And I had a hard time believing that there were actually true friends existed. And so while pastoring, I kept people at a distance. And about seven years ago, my friend Wyatt Jones, whom I was keeping, there he is, whom I was keeping at a distance, I'll never forget this. He said, hey man, I'm just letting you know, if you want to be real friends, I'm here. (laughs) Real friends. Remember that? It's like, yeah, I'd like that. Thank you, man. He's one of my best friends. Like, we can keep playing this game if you want, but if you want to be like real friends, I'm willing to do that for you. I'd like that, and I, I think you'd benefit too. A scarcity mentality is a real and present danger in our lives. And most of my scarcity thoughts were rooted, um, were rooted in lies of, of who I thought God was and who I am. So they're really, they were uh, identity issues. So I hadn't done the work of addressing my own broken narratives and my own emotional woundedness. So I was fragile and grasping for control of my time, my money, my resources. Also keeping people at a distance not giving them my time or access to my heart, even if they did get my time. It was fake. I was so emotionally wounded, I didn't want them to see my pain, and I didn't feel that I had the capacity to carry their burdens. And so it hindered us from true mutual vulnerability and connection that we all need to heal and to flourish. So I've got a long ways to go, but I'm slowly learning that Really, everything I have and everything that I am is a gift from God to be used for the life of the world. So I'm going to stop talking now. Some of you are thinking, praise God. So here's my question to you guys, and I want some feedback. This is similar to what Bob asked last week. What has living with a scarcity mentality cost you or others? So maybe you hoard your money out of fear. You hoard your time, your heart, your talents. Maybe you don't engage people who are hurting because you think, I just can't add that to my plate, right? That is just too heavy for me to deal with right now. There are all kinds of ways that we can overprotect and hoard. So what has living with a scarcity mentality cost you or cost others? The floor is open. Give me more time to drink my tea, so I like it. Yes, yeah. It's cost you what? Fellowship, okay. Yeah. What else? Joy, okay. Opportunities to serve, yes, okay. So people are suffering because you're hoarding your time, right? Good, okay. Anything else? Close connection with God, okay. Anyone else? Why? Right. 
Okay. Yeah, avoiding hard things in scripture because he didn't think he was enough. Didn't have the bandwidth to really handle it or know how to navigate God's truth. Good. Living with a scarcity mentality is a major hindrance to loving people well. When we choose not to be generous with our money and resources, people suffer. Get this. Did you know that on average, Christians only tithe 2 to 3% of their income? Okay? If all self-professing Christians tithe 10%, we could eliminate world hunger, provide clean water to every person on the planet, and all overseas missions work would be fully funded. Think about that. That is insane. But the fear of not having enough or hoarding what we have keeps many Christians from being generous. A lack of generosity is a lack of love. A generous heart helps cover over a multitude of sins because we allow others to experience God's goodness and God's provision when we die to our selfish desire to hoard and protect who we are and what we have. We're operating with a scarcity mentality when we believe that we don't have the time or the energy to handle the burdens of others. It is so easy not to ask people how they're really doing, right? And just to keep it fake and surface. What we don't know doesn't require anything of us. And if a lot of us are honest, we like it that way. We are limited in our capacity when we try to bear fruit, bear the burdens of others, and live a life of generosity out of our own strength and our own ability. So as followers of Jesus, this is nothing new. You guys have heard this. As followers of Jesus, we have to get past the mindset of seeing through the lens of our own abilities and realize that we have the Spirit of God inside of us empowering us. The spirit of the living God resides in all of you that have staked your lives to Jesus Christ. And it is his power, not your own, at work in you to enlarge your capacity to cover over a multitude of sins in the way that you love people. So check out some, some of these verses I put together on just God's power at work in our lives. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I'll be honest, that verse hits me today. Like, I do not feel good. I feel weak. I was kind of dreading this. But he's showing up for me, right? Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Joshua 1, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. As you look at those, what, what resonates in your heart as you read those? Or for maybe one or two people. What stirs in your heart when you read those truths? Command, okay, yeah. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. Saying that's a command to be strong and courageous in him, right? He provides the strength to do it. Anyone else? What resonates in you as you read those? Whoa, way in the back, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's talking about the story of Paul not taking the, the thorn away in his flesh to, hey, this guy's going to suffer, but it's through his suffering or I'm going to be glorified. And it's through his suffering I'm going to actually build his character too, right? Good. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our helper. He is sufficient. He is with us, and he is enough. These are God's promises to us. This is what we stake our lives to as followers of Jesus. Our sinful nature and our society want us to hoard everything, right? Protect it. It's yours. It's your baby. My precious, right? Lord of the Rings, anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to hoard it. You never know when disaster might strike. Guard your money. Guard your time tightly because you're barely surviving as it is. Scarcity. Fear. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann said it best, and he declared, we do not live by what is possessed, but by what is promised. And while we need to truly believe and live into the reality that it's God's strength that enlarges our capacity to love and carry the burdens of others, there's also another major factor at play impacting our ability to do that, and that's not taking our own healing seriously. So really, all of our hindrances to love people in the end really come back to our own healing process. Here's what I mean by that. Your capacity will be enlarged when you deal with your unhealed wounds. Because that pain and that sorrow will not be taking up capacity in your life. When you're unwilling to deal with your past trauma, shame, betrayal, or whatever it is that has you limping through life or putting on a facade you will be limited in your willingness and ability to engage others through vulnerability and through empathy. You cannot lead people to God's healing waters when you have not experienced them yourselves. And a rebuttal some people might say is, well, I'm too messed up. I'm too messed up right now for God to be using me. You don't have to clean your life up or be healed of all your woundedness for God to use you. Thank God. It's not either or, it's both and. You can both be getting help and helping others along the way. Maturing and healing in Christ is a lifelong journey. It's not something we arrive at after six months or after six years. We are never fully redeemed this side of heaven, but we can surrender to the process of transformation while also coming alongside our brothers and sisters. And it can be something as simple as, hey, I'm going to this support group. Would you like to join me? Hey, I'm going to this gathering tonight. I'd love if you would come with me. Our role is to lead people to the healer, not to be the healer for them. And as we come to a close today, maybe you're wondering, what do I do with this passage? Perhaps you recognize and admit that you've been living with a scarcity mentality. 
limited in your view of what God can do in you and through you. So how do we shift from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mindset? The first step is believing like these verses say that God is our strength, that he is enough. And we do that through immersing ourselves in his word, right? Devouring it, studying it, meditating on it, praying through it, reading it individually, reading it with others. If we don't believe that his power is working through us, then we'll play it safe and avoid engaging others in pain. And then the next step is dealing with your own healing. If you haven't dealt with your own healing, what are you waiting on? I have this talk all the time with people. I'll be honest, do you know how many people in this church are getting Christian counseling and attending support groups to deal with their pain and their emotional wounds? It is remarkable. And I am so proud. What are you doing to heal from your emotional and relational wounds? How about this one? Are you remembering what God has done for you in the past? Bible tells us, commands us over 250 times to remember. Remember God's faithfulness and remember his goodness. Remember when he showed up, when everything seemed bleak. Not only does that help us persevere, knowing God, God met me back then, you know what, he's going to meet me now too. And finally, are you asking God to enlarge your desire to love people deeply? Ask him to give you his heart for people, because he will. Let's be a church that is known for our deep love for one another, because that's what a hurting world wants to see. Lavish love that goes beyond logic for reason. Love that covers over all our flaws and all of our brokenness. That kind of love is compelling. That kind of love is contagious. Let's believe that God is enough and that it is his power working through us that allows us to cover over the sins of others with our love. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are enough. God, we repent of hoarding, God, and overprotecting our time and our money, our emotional availability, God, our talents. God, forgive us for hoarding them out of fear. God, help us to live with an abundance mindset that starts first by understanding through your word how great you are and how it is your strength that any of this is even possible. God, help us to grasp that. Help us to take our own healing seriously. Help us to remember how you showed up in our lives year after year, God. And help us to ask you to enlarge our capacity, enlarge our perspective, God, and really battle against the false beliefs that we don't have enough and that we aren't enough to help people. God, you're in us. You can't help but believe in us, God, as you reside in all of our hearts that have staked their lives to you. Lord, we love you. Help us to be a church that shows lavish love to one another, God, because that's what a hurting world really wants to see. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and stand with us?